Good afternoon, seven investors. Good morning. Good evening. You could be all over the world. If you're here in the U.S., of course, uh, you are noticing that the stock market has not been having a good day. That is something we're going to address later on in the program. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I am the host of the program. I'm being joined today by Max Chatsko. Our top topic today, we are going to talk about uh, the big news on COVID boosters. Then we're going to take a look at two words you've been hearing a lot, and we're going to tell you what they mean. Those two words are, of course, debt ceiling. But as we're going to talk about the market. The Dow is down, I don't know, like 700 points when, when last I checked. We understand that that's scary. We're happy to take your questions. Ask your questions. We will get to them later on in the show. Max Chatsko, it was a busy NFL Sunday. We're only going to make one little joke about this, but in the time I've been doing this introduction, Zach Wilson has somehow thrown two more interceptions. How Pretty impressive. I haven't even thrown that many interceptions in the NFL. <laughs> game, so, and, uh, Max, we wish we could talk more NFL, but obviously it is a big, heavy market day. As we said, get in your questions and your comments about the market. We know it's scary. We will address it in the second half of the show. But Max, first, there is big news. I, I had my sleeve rolled up. I was ready to get a COVID booster, uh, but that doesn't look like the case. I was one of the first people vaccinated. I was vaccinated in, in, in mid-February, late February, but like February 20th. Uh, so I was pretty ready to get my booster, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening right now. Why don't you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, so this was kind of dominating the headlines before the uh, sky started falling this morning anyway. But uh, <laughs> last on Friday, there was an advisory committee meeting at the FDA, and they met to discuss this issue. They voted on the question of, do we need boosters in the general population? Uh, they voted overwhelmingly against, 16 to 2 against, so it wasn't even close, Dan. Uh, then they kind of went back to the drawing board. They drafted another question, and they said, hey, do we need, uh, specifically, this is all for the Pfizer vaccine, too, to point out, not for Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. And they said, should we allow boosters in those who are 65 and older, those who are immunocompromised, those who might be in certain high-risk jobs? And they voted overwhelmingly in favor for that population. So the the news here is that an FDA advisory committee said, hey, you know what? They voted against um, vaccinations for the general population. Of course, the FDA, this is not the FDA's formal recommendation. So uh, they tend to follow what the ADCOM committees say. They don't always do it. Um, but so this is not like the formal, this is not what the FDA has decided. This is just kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, the presage to that. So they're recommending against boosters, which is actually something you've been saying all along. So besides taking a little bit of a bow, because you, you have been saying this, from a medical point of view, and I know you're not a doctor, but you, but you, you do have an advanced degree and, and you're knowledgeable in the space. What's the logic behind delaying boosters here? And feel free to take your bow for being right all along. Yeah, so for months I was saying, oh, you know what, we probably don't need boosters. Um, and I kind of uh, was pounding the table about that for a while. And then last month, though, the Biden administration came out and said, everyone's going to get boosters. We're going to put them in the drinking water. They didn't say that. But uh, and so <laughs> I, I on a show last month, I was like, OK, I was wrong. And now maybe I was wrong about being wrong. But uh, so the reason, though, that I thought we probably don't need boosters for the general population is due to how vaccines work. Right. So uh, when you get a vaccine, you're priming your immune system uh, to recognize, you know, that virus, that antigen, it's called. And, um, you know, we've heard a lot in, in articles and so forth headlines about antibodies. Do you have antibodies? How quickly do your antibody levels decline? And that's true, right? When you have a neutralizing antibody, it's going to latch on to the virus if you encounter it, uh, and then you won't get sick or as sick. So that's a good thing. That's kind of the point of vaccines. That's only part of the equation. 
Um, you know, when you get a vaccine, you're actually, uh, you know, priming your immune system in a way that's, you know, you're, you're uh, priming something called T cells and B cells. So that's where your immune memory actually comes from. And those cells are responsible for making neutralizing antibodies in the first place. So, you know, over time, if your body's pumping out high levels of neutralizing antibodies, eventually, if you don't encounter the virus, your immune system is going to say, okay, we're wasting some resources here, you know, let's dial it back. Um, and so we detect that declining level of neutralizing antibodies, but that doesn't mean you've lost protection because you still have memory in T cells and B cells. So uh, basically, you know, if a year after you're vaccinated, you don't really have high levels of neutralizing antibodies we can detect, but you did encounter the virus, your body would probably ramp up production of neutralizing antibodies. So we don't need boosters every six months. We might not need them every year. And specifically in the general population, vaccines work. I mean, they're, they're protecting people from hospitalization and death. Those are kind of the two metrics that matter right now. So at this stage in the pandemic, we should focus on getting everybody vaccinated we can. And right now, really, the focus should be children who uh, still aren't eligible for vaccines. That looks like it might change. We saw some positive data on that today, uh, but we're not going to go too much into that. So we've seen the economy, one of the struggles, and we're going to talk about the stock market. And again, we would love your questions and comments. You're being very quiet out there, Seven Investing Nation. Uh, but one of the things we've heard a lot is, well, the Delta variant, and I've seen it. Tourism to Florida has slowed down. Now, obviously, we've been a very high rate of cases here. But theoretically, Max, like, so I'm doubly vaccinated. Uh, everyone in my family is. Statistically, if I go out somewhere, I am, it's possible I'll get a breakthrough case, but it's not very likely. And I'm basing this on some of the studies out of Israel, and I'm only 47, I'm not 65. I'm not very likely to get a serious case, a case that causes hospitalization or even really makes me particularly sick. Um, is this a case where? maybe we're overreacting from an economic point of view and people are, you know, I know a lot of people who are fully vaccinated just aren't willing to travel or go out and, or, you know, whatever, they're still like wiping down their groceries and things like that. I know that was a long question. So answer whatever part of it you like. Yes. So, you know, you brought this up last month when I said, Hey, I was wrong about boosters. We're going to get them. Um, you said, well, you know, isn't maybe, so I came at it from a scientific perspective. I didn't see that maybe the government um, would want to approve these anyway. And you brought up the point that, you know, this is kind of like insurance, right? Having boosters available, even if we don't really need them from a scientific standpoint or an immunity standpoint, going into the winter, I mean, it's colder, air is drier, it's easier to um, spread respiratory illnesses, people are traveling, people are, you know, there's a lot of holidays. So you said, hey, it's probably a good idea to have this insurance in place, right? Approvals are, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, vaccines are available, boosters are available if we needed them. So if things went sideways or a new variant came out or cases started rising, it, it's a much more calming effect if we had boosters available. Uh, it reduces a lot of, you know, removes some uncertainty from the economy and from society. So uh, that is a pretty good point. And in fact, even though the FDA ADCOM uh, vote was overwhelmingly against boosters in the general population, I actually think we're probably going to get boosters Anyway, so this is one of those cases where I think the FDA's formal decision, eventually, maybe it's supposed to decide this week, um, maybe not this week, but eventually, I think it's going to approve boosters for everybody. Um, and again, it's kind of what you were saying. It's just about the having that insurance in place. Um, it's not just from the scientific standpoint. Some of this might even get a little bit political. Um, you know, we're not really going to talk about that. But actually, two the two leading vaccine um, authorities, like the two leading officials at the FDA, are actually resigning. They're leaving. I don't think it's related to this. But on their way out, one of them actually called this ADCOM meeting 
kind of as like a you know filming their nose at the uh, at the FDA maybe for rushing this decision. So they wanted people to go on the record, scientists to go on the record and say, you know, do you support boosters for the general population? So they got this vote against, but I think uh, the people in charge are still probably going to approve it anyway. So Max, you know, I travel a lot. Um, is there a harm? Like, you know, if, if I decide, okay, I, I'm going to be at about, you know, eight months past my shot or whatever it is. And, you know, in, in a few months, uh, maybe a booster is not the worst idea for me. Is there a harm to it? Uh, besides the, the potential for, uh, increased side effects, which I think we've covered before. I haven't seen any of the data to be fair, Dan. Um, I think that might be really the only concern is some of the side effects. I mean, they're, overwhelmingly safe and effective. So if you did get a booster, it would boost your immunity to above levels uh, that you got after your second shot. So it's not like you're returning to where you were before. You would actually have uh, several times higher immunity in terms of uh, your immune activity, you know, neutralizing antibodies and so forth. Um, but, you know, maybe there's some increased risk slightly from maybe some of those uh, heart conditions that we saw in, in an infinitesimally small portion of individuals. Um, so I haven't seen the data. I don't know. But overwhelmingly, it should be pretty safe. Can I ask a dumb question? Sure. What stops someone from getting a booster? Because I could walk in right now to the CVS in the Target that's a half mile from me, say, hey, I've never had a shot. And admittedly, it wouldn't show up on my card, though I have heard of places that are that are doing them and, and putting them on the card, even though that, that's not necessarily approved. Nothing stops me from going out and getting a third shot, right? Yeah, that's true. There's nothing stopping anyone. You get a fourth shot, you get 10. Um, you don't, know. don't don't do that without <laughs> advice of your doctor, for, first of all. I just want to yeah, so be very true. responsible here. Exactly. Yeah, we're not advocating for that. Um, but yeah, that, that's true. Anybody can get one. And look, I mean, we've said this too. At this point in the pandemic, I think everyone's kind of made up their mind, right? We have that loud vocal minority who's like never going to get a vaccine. We have people who are being super careful. Like you said, they're still like washing vegetables and all that. Um, or whatever they're doing, you know, uh, they're probably going to, yeah, we still have friends who haven't had a haircut in like 19 months. So. Yeah. That's a little, everyone I interview for our podcast is avoiding barbers too, for some reason. Um, but yeah, so there's always like, I think people have made up their minds, right? Having boosters available for everyone doesn't mean suddenly 300 million more Americans are going to get boosters. Uh, I think everyone's kind of already made their decisions already. That uh, well, I will say I want to be super immune because I intend to go all sorts of places. I was on a cruise ship last week. Uh, I intend to do that again in a few weeks. Uh, so you know, I am out there spreading the gospel of Seven Investing, and we will get to what is going on in the market momentarily. But I have one last question for Max. One final question on uh, not boosters exactly, but on COVID nineteen. It's are there any other COVID drugs, uh, treatments, vaccines, uh, things we need to know about that might change the trajectory of uh, what hasn't been a great 18 months for the United States? Yeah, well, of course, we have these things called vaccines. They work pretty well. In terms of other treatments, there's some interesting things in the industry pipeline. Everyone's kind of throwing everything they can at it. Uh, of course, there's always some antibody cocktails that are in the works, and they're effective, but they're also very expensive to manufacture. Uh, they can only be administered through an IV infusion that usually takes at least an hour to go to a special place that's equipped with that type of infrastructure to administer it in that way. Uh, so it's not very practical, right? I mean, it also costs a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars or more. Uh, a vaccine, a single dose of a vaccine is like less than $10 all around um, costs. So pretty effective. Uh, there's, there's some interesting things, though. There's some uh, oral antivirals that are in the works and uh, have shown to be somewhat effective, at least in early trials. Um, I forget the companies that are working on that, but there was a major acquisition or two uh, for some of these companies recently, like after the pandemic started. Um, so, you know, that would be 
easier if you did get sick you could just go to the you know cvs or wherever and and get some uh prescription for a very simple pill you would take for so many days while you're sick and it would uh lessen the uh, uh viral load and and maybe uh help you to avoid the worst case outcome so um that's probably the next uh major thing that's going to dominate headlines in terms of treatments other than vaccines uh so yeah i mean you know we're, we're slowly kind of putting it behind us as best we can you're watching Seven Investing now. Uh, we welcome you to play along. You have been very quiet. We know a lot of you are watching, but we have not seen any comments. Uh, it is the 20th. I think that's right. It's September 20th. That's what it says on the show doc here. Uh, that means we are nearing the end of September. That is hard to believe, especially living here in Florida, where it's pretty much super hot at all times. But on the 1st of October, we are going to release our new picks. What do we do every month at 7investing for our members? We each make our highest conviction stock pick, and we do a big write-up on that. We create a PowerPoint presentation. We shoot a video. Uh, they're known to be songs in our videos. There's been special effects all sorts of stuff. But basically, we make a case for why we think a particular stock is the most important one, the one you should be buying now. Do you have to buy all seven recommendations? Absolutely not. Uh, no, Max is saying yes. No, that is not true. What you want to do uh, is look at us, look and say, hey, I'm about Dan's age. Our, our finances are similar. Or, hey, you know, I really don't know anything about biotech and I'd like some exposure. So, geez, I'm going to make some bets on Max's stock. That's actually something I do. Or, wow, I am really interested in the payment space. And Matt Cochran really has that nailed. I'm not going to name everybody. I did that last show. Uh, but we have seven incredibly diverse, incredibly smart people. I think we have something like five advanced degrees. We have my crazy background of experience where, uh, you know, I've run retail stores. I purchased commodities. I grew up in a family business. So we bring it all different angles to our members. How do you join? You go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Once you're there, you can either give us $49 a month. You can do that. We're okay with that. Or, and this is the smart play. This is what, you know, your friend, uh, Dan here is telling you $399 a year, $399 a year. That is more than two months saving. You should do that. We are, and I'm saying this, this is my personal opinion. We are the best investing service out there. You are not getting a team like us for a price like this. Call that a brag. Uh, I won't make anyone else in the team say it, but I believe that fully. We are going to move on here. Uh, so we are going to talk about uh, the debt ceiling. Um, we headlined it as investors prepare for more debt ceiling drama. But before we do that, uh, let's talk a little bit about today's market drop and comment on some of the reasons behind it. So the big reason, maybe the one driving it is uh, investors are worried about China, but it's not the reason you normally think it is. Uh, a default from real estate giant Evergrande, a company I heard of this morning for the first time, uh, could ripple through global markets. Max, what does this mean? And again, please get in your questions and comments. What are you doing, people? You have a chance to talk to us here. Yeah. So uh, no, a lot of people haven't really heard of Evergrande, but it's uh, a big real estate company in China, you know, and maybe in recent years, we've heard stories about uh, obviously the crazy massive state investments that China's made in infrastructure, right? Building highways for the first time, building entire cities out of scratch for the first time. And we've also heard about maybe some overbuilding, some overspending, certainly a lot of debt. Um, and for a while, you know, Evergrande just kind of, it's always been like in the slow motion train wreck. It's uh, kind of staved off default and it's been, uh, you know, paying people in weird ways and just kind of prioritizing, you know, bills. And uh, today, or at least recently, everyone's like, oh crap, this is maybe going to actually go under. So the bill's finally coming due. 
Um, and, and people who are smarter than me and have written articles about this say, this is from the Wall Street Journal, quote, market participants increasingly believe that Beijing, meaning China, the government, will let Evergrande fail and inflict losses on its shareholders and bondholders. Um, the company's debt burden is the biggest of any publicly traded real estate company uh, or development company in the world, right? So debt total $100 billion or more. Um, and China, the government, is uh, going to kind of send a, a message here. It's going to use Evergrande as an example of what not to do. Um, and of course, the, the government's expected to actually help the little guys. So if you put down a big down payment you know, on an apartment and the building was never finished, it's been years, they're not going to let those people just kind of suffer and take the losses. But um, they might actually let uh, this company fail, which is something the U.S. government never tries to do. We always try to bail everybody out and, <laughs> uh, you know, send everybody gift bags and things when the market's, you know, going down the tubes. And uh, China's taking a, a different uh, approach. So that is kind of spooking markets. And, you know, look, this can ripple through the markets and the economy, the global economy. It's increasingly intertwined in, in weird, weird ways. So that's kind of uh, weighing on uh, the U.S. stock market today. We've got a viewer comment here, and I'd like to bring it up and let Max uh, comment. Uncle Robbie, I think that's what the name is, uh, says, why would $600 billion in debt affect an American company? What's Chinese debt have to do with uh, Teladoc, for example? Well, let me, let me jump in quickly. There is no direct correlation between Chinese debt and why Teladoc might be down today. I'm going to assume Teladoc is down today for the general broad market concerns we're going to talk about later. Um, but... Max mentioned intertwined, um, but I'd be curious as to know why particularly this company? This does not seem to be a high American interest company. Do they own a lot of uh, American real estate interests? No, no, no. It's not that. It's if you own the debt, uh, if you're a creditor of this company and suddenly you're not going to get paid, well, that changes a lot of your calculations for how you run your business. So, you know, I, I don't know this specifically. Maybe I shouldn't name examples, but let's say you're Goldman Sachs and you own whatever, tens of billions of dollars in this company's debt. Or you're somehow three steps removed from companies that are going to take it on the chin uh, if this company defaults. Well, that's where the ripple effects come into play. It's kind of like, you know, in the last financial crisis, did it matter that uh, a bunch of banks were packaging uh, really terrible mortgages in weird ways that they shouldn't have been? No, that doesn't affect everybody else. But eventually it ripples down and, and you know, three, four steps later, you know, it affects companies like Teladoc or biotech companies. Additionally, it's important to keep in mind, you know, the markets are in a historic, on a historic run. Um, you know, from November 1st of 2020 through September 1st uh, of this year, so earlier this month, the S&P 500 gained over like 36%. And since I've been alive, which granted is only like 13 years, but, um, you know, the largest annual increase in a calendar year for the S&P 500 was around like 34%. That was in 1995. So, you know, to put that into context, the recent run where it just goes up all the time and pretty much uninterrupted is historic. So it's not going to take very much, maybe only a little nudge to maybe, you know, uh, issue a little correction here or there, maybe just a little decline for a month. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, recession's on the way necessarily or anything like that. But, uh, you know, the markets and asset prices are uh, certainly expensive by most metrics. So it's not that surprising. Like a 2% decline or so forth is not really that surprising in the grand scheme of things. So keep that in mind too. Join us Saturday afternoon for Max's Bar Mitzvah. Uh, with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about this because when the markets are this hot, and obviously people have that like markets only go up perception, we all know that markets have major pullbacks, big drops. 
And in the long term, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So we might see, and, and, and I think we're still in this cycle that I, that I think of as the pandemic cycle, where every now and then there's just like a day where like a bunch of bad stuff happens and, and, and people sort of wake up and go, oh, okay, like I'm a little bit scared and I'm worried about the debt ceiling, which we're going to talk about in a second. I'm worried about uh, you know a handful of other things, China and inflation and car prices and whatever it might be. And the market just has a down seven or 800 point day recent history on this has been recoveries like within two weeks. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to be how it is, but right now we're in kind of an accelerated cycle. Uh, And do I think that will be forever? No, but the things we're worried about are still very, very tied to current market conditions. So you can't talk about inflation without talking about what's going on because of the pandemic. Uh, We're going to get to more questions and comments, but I'd like to talk a little bit about what was supposed to be our main topic today, and that is the debt ceiling. Um, Max, I've heard a lot about the debt ceiling, but for those people who uh, did not go to Hofstra University and study history, where they actually never mentioned the debt ceiling, uh, that... What is the debt ceiling? Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a debt ceiling 101 here? Yeah, rumor has it, Dan, your economics professor was uh, Professor Bernie Madoff, confirm or deny. Is that true? Uh, no, no, no. Bernie Madoff, our most famous alumni, not a professor. I actually was really lucky that that my advisor was uh, Professor Doug Brinkley, the uh, the NBC uh, presidential historian uh, and, a, and a wonderful author and a, and a pretty delightful man. So uh, I was very, very lucky in that experience. But um, what is the debt ceiling? Is it one of those popcorn ceilings that people complain about when they buy a house? Yes, exactly. No. Um, so we have this quote here from the U.S. Treasury. The debt limit is the total amount of money that the United States government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations, including Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries, interest on the national debt, tax refunds and other payments. Uh, so importantly, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with like the U.S. Congress wants to pass a $13 trillion budget for the next like that. That doesn't come into play for this. This is for obligations that are existing already on the books. Um, people are already demanding their money. So um, important to remember a couple of details here. You know, this is we thought I, I thought it would be a good idea to start talking about the debt ceiling because, uh, you know, these deadlines are coming up. Uh, little do we know that Evergrande would be the story today. But uh, the U.S. government's fiscal year ends on September 30th. So it doesn't line up perfectly with the calendar. Um, and that means sometime in October, the U.S. Treasury is probably going to run out of money to pay these obligations. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, the U.S. federal government uh, gives money to states, gives money to towns, gives money for social programs, the military, and importantly, you know, principal payments on debt and interest payments on debt. Um, so if the U.S. defaults, really, really bad news. Uh, the Treasury would need to decide which obligations it would want to prioritize. A recession would be likely if we didn't get a handle on it soon. Uh, you know, we could lose millions of jobs or could be uh, just widespread calamity. We're talking about ripple effects from some uh, relatively large company, a real estate company in China, if the U.S. government defaulted on its debt, I mean, um, wow, that's going to be really even way worse. So, um, you know, the pra- the realistic things that would happen, I mean, uh, you know, the U.S. credit rating would probably be permanently impacted. Uh, asset prices would probably fall across the board and interest rates would go up permanently because, uh, you know, if you default on debt, uh, creditors are going to demand a little bit higher yields because uh, they don't want to be the next time, you know, they don't want to be the next ones that uh, you don't pay. So that would actually affect consumers, cars, houses, credit cards, personal loans, everything, Bitcoin loans. I don't know. Uh, you know, all those things would be jacked up. So it would actually affect consumers and, you know, be permanent. So this would be uh, 
absolutely worst case scenario for a lot of us. So, so I want to push back a little bit um, because we've been to this brink before, and we'll talk about the the politics without getting political uh, in a few minutes. But when this happens, so let's say we get to October fifth, we're quote out of money. It doesn't mean we have zero. It just means we have less money coming in than we, because you can't borrow more. So you can still spend what's coming in from taxes, from, from various other reasons. Here's how I look at this. The US government is so gigantic that people need us to borrow from them. And the reality is it's just like when you're a billionaire who's borrowing money, who owns assets that nobody wants. It comes down to you're going to call your creditors. You're going to say, hey, yep, we're not issuing tax refunds. That's one that's easy to, to push out, to push down the road for a while. But, you know, hey, we have to pay these things. And you're going to negotiate just like any person that has a lot of assets but has a cash flow problem. And you're going to say, hey, we're still going to pay you, but it's going to be a little push down the road. I also think maybe, and, and again, Max, you can push back here because because that there will be long-term effects, but they won't be as extreme or as long-term because the reality is when you're the biggest player in the room or the second biggest player, depending how, how you look at it, people are going to want to loan money to you. And look, we've seen people with multiple bankruptcies uh, get specific get loans you know get and get loans on favorable terms and and that's not limited to 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 the one person everyone's thinking of there this has happened with lots and lots of companies lots and lots of people there is such a thing as too big to fail and i don't want to say the us government is too big to fail but i'm pretty sure a two week snafu in in you know the political negotiating of, of of raising the debt ceiling, which we know is what ultimately is going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure a delay in this is really going to have these catastrophic effects uh, because I do think that could happen. That we might get, uh, you know, this forced to be part passed along party lines, which will take longer for various complicated budget reasons. So I don't know. I am not as worried about this as as the rest of the the news media appears to be. Max, your thoughts here. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, you know, this has become a political football in the last decade, right? Um, it's a the lot worst of kind of football, by the way. That's it's it's even worse than like low end college football. Yeah, this is like what the Pittsburgh Steelers season is going to be this year. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a lot of drama, a lot of political grandstanding. And usually we, you know, Congress will suspend the debt ceiling or raise it. So it, leading up to the that decision, that vote in Congress uh, authorization, uh, you know, the market can still be kind of volatile, but eventually they end up doing the right thing, which is really supposed to be one of the most uh, boring parts of their job. But somehow they turn it into uh, all this drama. But, you know, uh, and you're right. I mean, even if we did default or for a little while or our credit rating took a hit, you know, not to brag, but like where else are people going to invest globally? <laughs> right. Like the Europe, <laughs> Europe is kind of, you know, you have negative interest rates there. China, obviously, we've seen is uh, uh paying closer attention to some of its internal issues and, and concerns. So really, where else are you going to go if you're a global investor? You're still like the US is still a pretty good destination um, in the grand scheme of things. So you're probably right. But if we did have to well, increase well, interest well, rates well, higher, that does kind of let, that impacts the little guy, meaning me, meaning consumers, you know, so let, let, let me jump in in a couple areas. One, interest rates being a point or two higher would still leave them at like pretty near historic lows when it comes to like buying a house. Like my, my first mortgage was at 8%. My parents was in like the 20. So like if, if mortgages go from like three and a quarter to four and a quarter, that's just historically somewhat irrelevant though in the short term, maybe it would 
cap some demand. That being said, like we're looking at properties and the mortgage company we're using uh, told me they're 45 to 60 days out on closing. So maybe a little less demand might not be the worst thing in the world. The other thing I'll say is we've learned some lessons from the 2008 financial crisis. Now, a lot of the 2008 financial crisis was bad loans, like giving a loan to someone who legitimately couldn't afford it. Right now, we have loans essentially to people who can't afford it that might have cash flow issues. So we saw all across our economy during the pandemic, we saw like good mall uh, companies say, okay, uh, all right, Cheesecake Factory, you can't pay your rent right now because there's not a lot of customers coming in. Well, what if we added six months to the end and you pay 5% more a month starting in a year from now? We've also seen banks be willing to do that with mortgages and go, okay, Max, you're not working because uh, you're a waiter, but you're a waiter at a high-end restaurant. You make 150 grand a year, uh, you know, or, or you're, you're in a field that's had a big slowdown, but we expect we'll recover. So we'll give you forbearance. You don't have to pay your mortgage for six months. We've seen a lot more willingness to do that. I do kind of feel like as a government, we could probably figure out how to get, you know, a couple of months of leeway because I don't know, do they really want to foreclose in the Statue of Liberty? Like I'm joking a little <laughs> bit, but it just doesn't seem like a foreclosure is in anyone's best interest. Right. But one thing to keep in mind too, even if interest rates go up like 1% or 2% or whatever it might be, they might go up more, you know, sure. In the grand scheme of things, a 1% increase is small, but this would be offset by falling asset prices. So uh, you'd be paying a higher interest rate and maybe the price of your house falls by, you know, 30, 40%. Like that is, so that changes the equation a little bit or, you know, or if asset prices don't fall, which is what usually happens when yields increase, uh, then look, think about people who don't own a house yet. Uh, they have to pay high asset prices and high interest rates. And, like it just kind of keeps stacking on. Um, yeah, so I, I understand because I'm in both situations. I own a property, but I don't <laughs> own a principal residence. So, so, you know, it's something I'm absolutely aware of. But I do think right now we're in what I call a sad day cycle where we just woke up today and there's a whole bunch of bad news. And that's kind of a reason to sell when a lot of people maybe are fearful of valuations in the first place. So if you were looking at a reason to, I don't know, shed some Peloton stock, well, their earnings report, which was mediocre, plus uh, you know the market generally being down, maybe that mentally got you to like, geez, are people really gonna buy a $1,500 exercise bike and pay 49 bucks a month to ride it? So I don't know. I just feel like tomorrow there's going to be some mild piece of good news and we're going to see the market close up 140 points. I mean, am I reading this totally wrong? And then we'll take Rahul's comment, which is one I don't think we're qualified to comment on, but I saw it so much in the news today. I'd like to address it. No, I think I think you're you're correct. You know, like we wanted to bring up the debt ceiling because investors are going to be hearing a lot about it uh, between now and you know the next three weeks or so. Uh, so we wanted to kind of prime you guys on that. And uh, yeah overwhelmingly the odds are that congress is going to you know uh either do the right thing let's say right um but you know again man there's a lot of scorched earth in politics lately who knows maybe they do let it default just to you know try to uh, uh point the finger at the other and uh, that would not be good but you're right and in, in the grand scheme of things people are still going to come to the united states and invest uh we'll probably figure it out but it could still be really uh interesting in the next month or so for you know investors nonetheless Daniel Delgado will take your comments at the end of the show. Uh, Rahul Gahadi says, an interesting thing related to debt ceiling is the possibility that U.S. Treasury mints a $1 trillion coin. I feel like there was a Simpsons where uh, where Monty Burns had a trillion-dollar bill that was supposed to settle European debt, and he flew away with it. Um, 
Max, is this one you saw? Because like the uh, here's the the weird problem about this: all money is theoretical. There is no backing to to the U.S. money. So literally, if we raise the debt ceiling, we literally could say, "Okay, we now have a bazillion dollar bill with Guy Fieri's face on it." Like it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want, and as long as like there's sort of global faith that the U.S. is valuable and will pay its sort of made up, not really a, a, attributed to anything debt. None of this kind of matters, right? Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, that's correct. Um, and actually, as a kid, Dan, I can't tell you, I probably got this three times as like a birthday present over the years, but people would frame like a $1 million bill because they used to call me Max a million. It was so cheesy. Like, why? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they must have all seen that Simpsons episode too. So, and, uh, yeah, and here's the thing why are we here today? It's to calm you down a little bit. We're not saying markets don't have corrections that we we've all experienced 20, 30% drops that, that last for, you know, six months, a year, even, even longer than that. But historically good companies recover. It's sort of one of the things we preach at seven investing. And it's very difficult when you do what we do to not look at returns on a daily basis. But do you honestly don't believe that the strong companies that are out there, you know, and I'll, and, and I'll pick one, just a random strong company is Microsoft weaker today because of any of this? And the answer is sure. They have some exposure of businesses can't pay for as many seats or, but the reality, those are not likely to be foundational changes for the company. Uh, but Max, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fed because there's two days of fed meetings today. And one of the, the concerns cited across many articles I read today was that the fed might start to taper some of its, uh, you know, its policies that have, that have sort of propped up the economy. And I will push back and say, there is zero chance on a day the market is down 700 points that the fed is going to put any bad news out there they they will at at least kick the can down the road to a to a next meeting these are not dumb people politically they are not going to send the market to a 2000 point loss on a day when it's already down 700 so uh 700 points so i am going to argue nothing happens in the next two days max yeah, I, I kind of disagree because the meeting that they're having, I mean, they have monthly meetings every month. That's why they're called monthly meetings, Max. Uh, good. Uh, so, <laughs> no, but, um, you know, this meeting, look, they're talking about tapering. So they are currently buying $120 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities and treasury notes. Um, this is already actually priced into uh, assets, uh, equity, uh, financial markets that the, the Fed is eventually going to be, begin tapering, which means reducing uh, those purchases every month. So I think that's already in the works. They already are like pretty much guaranteed to begin tapering before the end of 2021. Where I think you're correct, though, is that now that the debt ceiling drama is taking place, the Fed's certainly not going to begin doing that uh, before that risk is passed. Because uh, if if um, you know Congress does allow the U.S. to default on its debt or not raise the debt ceiling in time, well, the Fed like suddenly has to spring into action. So. Uh, they need to keep all the firepower they they possibly can, uh, you know, in in their pocket um, ahead of that decision. Um, but you know, once we pass that, you know, Congress raises or or suspends the debt ceiling, um, you can expect I think the Fed to begin tapering uh, those asset purchases. I do think though it's you know interest rates rising, which has maybe the bigger effect on stocks. Um, that's not likely to occur until you know maybe later in 2022, though obviously. So one of the reasons uh, we've heard for the Fed uh, slowing down or, you know, or quote tapering uh, is that there's quote surging inflation and improvement in the job market. I want to tackle both of these quickly. So I'll push back on surging inflation. We've talked about this before. If you take out car prices 
inflation is relatively minimal if you also factor in the very weird cycle uh, for purchases. Like, and, and I will point out, I've talked about this before. We had a very odd tourism season here in Florida where the summer was much busier with local travel. So the target near my vacation home was sold out of towels. Well, they probably ordered a bunch of towels, but then came in and I don't have any bookings this month because nobody wants to come to Florida and school is back in vac in session. So locals aren't traveling. And I know that's a really, really silly extreme example, but a shortage of products or lumber costing more because we're building a lot more houses, that's not necessarily inflation if it's a pipeline. So I'm not worried about inflation. And we get to the surging job market. Yes, we have a lot of jobs. There are, uh, there are way more job openings than there are people to fill them. But I would argue that there's not a ton of great jobs out there that sure, if you're out of work, it's great that Target or Chipotle or, or whatever else it might be now pays more than $15 an hour in, in a lot of cases. But I'm not sure that that's great for the executive who got laid off during the pandemic, um, you know, who can't replace his income. So I think both of these things aren't exactly what they look like. Max, I'll give you the last word on this one. It is always interesting, right, with uh, the inflation discussion, because it kind of depends on how you look at it or what numbers you're looking at. I mean, even the Fed takes inflation indexes and, and adjusts them uh, to its own liking. Like it literally takes out the top 30 percent of contributors and the bottom like 20 percent or so contributors. And then it arrives at, you know, some adjusted inflation number. And there's some criticisms to go around for that as well. And then, like you said, you know, how much is it is due to supply bottlenecks? How much of it's due to easy monetary policy? I don't think there's really any easy way to, to tell right now when we're in the moment we're living through it. Um, so I kind of lean towards it being a little less likely to be transitory. I think uh, some of this higher inflation is going to be a little more permanent, meaning like lasting for several years, not just kind of going away next year after the year over year comparisons change. Um but I, I don't know. I also didn't run a toy store or optimize inventory well, at a ladder company like you did. So. Yeah. So, so <laughs> look, I, I did buy commodities for four years and you had to sort of, you know, hedge your bets, buying things in advance. We see that the airlines and the cruise lines do that with, with fuel, you know, where, where they're, they're going, okay, it's low. So we're going to buy a lot now, but when it's high, we're, we're, you know, betting on futures and things like that. There's a lot of things you have to do, but this is the year it's been hardest to forecast demand add in the chip shortage and all of a sudden you have things like a shortage of laptops you get like yeah it's really unfortunate if you need to buy a car right now uh, my, my my personal trainer his air conditioning is dead in his car and he's been desperately trying to put off buying a new car because it's a terrible time to buy a new car uh my cousin for for reasons i won't elaborate had to to move uh, a really bad time great time to sell her house a bad time to buy a new one so yeah for people who have to do this, like, you know, my son is, is, is coming up on 18. He'll get his license at, at 18 because he didn't take driver's ed soon enough. And ideally he'd have a car, but he won't need a car. He can wait a few months to get a car. So I do think you feel like it's really terrible inflation. If you have to buy a new house at a time where home prices are really high, or if I am, uh, you know, 
I forgot my razor on a cruise ship, cruise ship about a year ago. And I had to buy, go buy like a really crummy one in Nassau that was like $19. Like that's not inflation, but it feels like the price of razors has gone insane. So I'm not saying some of this isn't real and we haven't seen some real supply shift or in some cases, maybe demand. We're going to take decades to catch up on with, with some of the chip stuff, maybe not decades, but maybe, maybe longer than two, three years to really catch up there. So there might be some items that are significantly more expensive, but I don't think we're going to see across the board, uh, everything costs 12% more. Like we saw this during the early days of the pandemic. Remember when it was hard to find certain cuts of meat, you know how to get around that get a different cut of meat. Like, and I think we've seen that with laptops. We've seen that with televisions where you're right. You might not be able to get exactly the laptop you want, but you probably will be able to get a sub $400 laptop this Christmas season. Max, I haven't shopped for you yet, so I can't promise you're getting a sub $400 laptop, but you know, Hey, it is possible. I will give you the last word before we move on to a couple of comments and then hit our finisher. Dan, all I know is if you get me a $1 million bill that's framed and says Maximilian, um, we're going to have to have a talk. So that's all I'll say. That uh, apologies to JT Street for skipping one of the graphics, but we sort of covered it uh, in our own words earlier on. Uh, how about we go to Vegas and we go to Harris where I can take your picture in front of the uh, statue of an older couple with a million dollars. That is uh, something you're actually not allowed to do at the moment, but normally you are allowed to do. I want to take a couple of comments. I'm going to let Max read them. Uh, Daniel Delgado had some really nice things to say about being a seven investing member. Uh, so I will let Max read those. Oh, all right. Here we go. Uh, I can brag about seven investing, definitely getting a lot of valuable information at my fingertips. No way I could do this by myself. Seven investing team give a detailed take on their stock topics or their stock selections of the month. They cover a lot of sectors. And there's a second one here. I'll take it. Uh, I forgot to say that the weekly podcast offers so much uh, also to everyone and the subscription does not disappoint. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Dan and Max, for today's podcast. This is, of course, also available as a podcast, but we like to think of it as a live stream. This is Seven Investing Now. We're always working on new things. I, I hope this sees the light of day, but I actually spent a, a fairly long amount of time today taking a very spirited and fun chat we had on, on our Slack about uh, Ford and Tesla and sort of like what we think those two companies will do. And I edited it into a pretty long transcript that's really interesting content. So we have to figure out what this is going to look like and how it's going to go live. And a lot of people have to, to read it and sign off on it because we have to make sure some of the personal stuff we put in there doesn't necessarily make it out to the audience. But we are always evolving always thinking. Uh, we will take Daniel Kern's comment, which I haven't read, uh, but Daniel is usually a good commenter, so I'm going to trust him there. How much is the S&P tied to China? Uh, seems like a big drop over foreign banks. We covered this a little bit earlier in the show. I think right now, and Max, you can, you can weigh in, that there might be actual problems here, but today's reasons are the theoretical supposition that those problems are happening, not the actual uh, reality of what might happen or what the actual ripple effect would be. Because again, uh, we talked about, I'm forgetting the company's name, Evergrande, uh, a Chinese real estate company. What a default looks like from them could be everything to pays no bills, to pays 80 cents on the dollar. Like We don't exactly know what any of this is going to look like. So I, I think a lot of today is just what might happen. Max, your thoughts here. Yeah, so there's just concern that uh, you know the Chinese government's going to let Evergrande fail, and that's going to just say, hey, you know what? Uh, all the investors and bondholders like have fun with this one. We're not going to bail you out, and they're kind of sending a signal, a message uh, to everyone else, any other companies in China that are 
heavily indebted, which has been a pretty big problem for China, right? Most of its rapid rise in, in the last two decades has been fueled by, you know, binging on debt. Uh, so this is maybe one of the first bills to come due. Maybe there are others. Um, and, you know, there are ripple effects, you know, even if you're not a creditor yourself, you know, like a Goldman Sachs doesn't maybe own any debt from Evergrande, but maybe two or three or four steps down the line, uh, some of its investments are affected. So, um, you know, with the how intertwined the global economy is, this does have an impact. And again, uh, as we said earlier, um, you know, with the S&P 500, at, at, you know, historic levels, it's it's pretty expensive. It doesn't take very much to maybe have a, a 1%, 2%, 3% down day. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't really that surprising, right? If you're worried, you've come to the right place. What we do here at 7investing is focus on the long term. We won't pretend the market's never going to crash. We won't pretend stocks we really believe in won't have bad days. We won't pretend that sometimes those bad days won't be justified. A lot of the times, though, they won't be. And we've experienced this. And I've written about this a lot, that a number of my picks had really down periods because they didn't grow as much as they did during a pandemic, which forced incredible growth, which wasn't necessarily very profitable growth, but did add customers, did give them things that will benefit in the long term. We have the ability to step back and take a really long look at things. So if you want seven really smart friends to hold your hand during all this, or as Max would say, six really smart friends plus Matt, uh, that is a joke. Max and Matt tease each other. Um, if you want that, go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe and certainly tell your friends about this show. We do this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Our podcast, uh, which tend to be interviews, releases on Tuesday and Thursday. We are good people to know on a scary day because we don't panic. We, we know these companies. We've done our homework. We've done our due diligence. Uh, but why don't we hop up on the top rope and hit our finisher? JT Street, if you want to share it, we would appreciate that. Uh, this is very topical today. I did not know that the market was going to have a bad day uh, when I wrote this. Uh, which worries you the most when it comes to the economy? China, 28.6%. Inflation, uh, about, about 30%. Housing prices, about 13.8%. And none of the above, 27.7%. you are all getting it wrong. It's housing prices. Uh, that Now I'm teasing a little bit. But I think, and you can take it down, JT, uh, I think it's housing prices. Because here's the reality. At some point, you need a place to live. Um, and I know many of us on the seven investing team have reasons keeping them where they are. So they can't go like, Hey, it's cheaper to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I'll just pack up and move. Like I have a kid in school. So I have to re-sign my lease where I live and it's going to be 10% more expensive. And I'm friends with my landlord and get along with him. And he's right. He laid out the data. His costs have gone up. The prices have gone up. We had a nice conversation about it. He isn't wrong. Uh, if I chose to buy a house, I can't buy one here. I think, look, is it going to benefit people that are geographically you know, agnostic and go wherever they want. Yeah. I don't think high prices are going to affect them as much, but if Max has to stay in Pittsburgh because, you know, he has season tickets to the pirates, which costs like, I don't know, like 90, a hundred dollars a year. Um, you know, then he's going to be stuck in Pittsburgh. Max, your thoughts on this one. First of all, I would never buy season tickets to the pirates. Um, let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, that's the biggest financial, uh, you know, um, purchase that most people make in their lives is housing where they live. And, you know, if you're like younger people like me, um, you know, I mean, it's hard to kind of get started sometimes if rent keeps going up every year, it's harder to save up money for that down payment, it's harder to buy a house. And 
So it, uh, it does have effects too on other purchases you can make and other life decisions you can make. Um, so sure, yeah, housing prices, that would be my vote. Although I guess we're all wrong because it's China today. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it probably is. Uh, we'll close out with a, a nice follow-up comment from Daniel Kern, if you want to bring that up, JT. Uh, Daniel says, thanks for the wisdom, you guys. Super appreciated. Thank you for watching. Thanks you for playing along. Thank you for interacting with us on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us, we are info at seveninvesting.com. That is usually Steve. Uh, Steve is, uh, you know, sometimes on like a hike or wrestling a bear or something. So Max might answer an email every now and then. Then, but usually it's Steve. Uh, and that is questions about your membership, questions that you're thinking about joining, questions about how the affiliate program works or how your affiliate code works, all that type of, uh, you can't find something on the site that you absolutely know is there. We, we know our search isn't a thousand percent perfect yet. If you want to interact with us, uh, that is at seven. That's the number seven investing on Twitter. Tag us, uh, share out your referral code. If you're a member, um, tell people, Hey, these are guys I listen to. These are, this is a team. Uh, and I say guys, but of course we have uh, Dana Bramovitz on our team as well. Sam Bailey, our marketing director. Uh, these are people that I trust in times like this. What a day. And I say times like this, which is hysterical because the last time we had times like this, uh, 72 hours, the market had later, the market had hit a new high. So I, I'm pretty sure we're probably not in the end times here, here for the stock market, but it can feel like that when you look at your portfolio and the numbers are shockingly red. Uh, we are here to hold your hand. We will be back on Wednesday doing this again. We will, of course, be back on Friday as well for Max Chatsko, for JT Street, for Sam Bailey, who sets all this up. I am Dan Klein. We will see you on Wednesday. Reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.